0: Welcome back everyone. We continue to be back and you continue to be welcome to it. This is the podcast for Cultural Reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and hosted on the Rebel Alliance Media Network. If you're at all interested in living a consistent biblical worldview, a worldview that, uh, that equips you to get out there and engage with the culture, make a difference in the world um, for the sake of Jesus Christ, Both of those ministries are going to be well worth your time. It's the Ezra Institute at ezrainstitute.ca and rebelalliancemedia.com. So it will not have escaped you that here at the Ezra Institute, over this past summer, we have been doing stuff. And it's been a full and busy summer of programming. We've run through three really exciting programs with some fantastic delegates and students and campers. We're blessed with a terrific faculty, and we wanted to sit down while we were in the midst of this, take some time out, and just explain for you all what we're doing, why we're doing it, and what you can expect in the future, and how you can participate with us. So today on the podcast, I've got EICC founder Joe Boot, as well as a core faculty member for all of our summer programming, that's Andrew Sandlin, he's a fellow of the Institute, He's a good friend of ours, and we all sat down for a three-way conversation on the, the importance of the training program that's happening at the Ezra Institute for this unique cultural moment. We talk about how, whether we like it or not, we are in a cultural war. We are in what Joe described as a cosmic struggle for the direction of history. And in a situation like this, there is no opting out. We're going to talk about how Christians take the long view of history and how we are to be a blessing to our children, to our grandchildren, to the next generation by providing them with the tools to understand and engage with culture. What I had in mind for us today, um, we've mentioned it a little bit, but uh, I thought, uh, Joe, you've been here most of the summer, Andrew, you've been here most of the summer, uh, the, uh, the away team, <laughs> but uh we've got uh we've got a room i'm gonna put a plaque on it with your name Hey man, the sandlin suite that's it
1: <laughs> that does that, work yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> i'm edging
2: so, skills are out
0: <laughs> i think uh you know a, a hundred years from now joe like when your great grandson is running this thing um uh, there's, there's gonna be some uh some new names on there some of will these suites. yes
1: i was thinking more along the lines of the uh the the Sandlin sewage area, but <laughs> <laughs> oh man, the sandlin
0: closet, <laughs> yes.
1: Uh, oh, sandlin out buildings, yes. No, I'll
0: but, think of a better one.
2: I'll think of one. Yeah,
0: but as as we've got both of you here, and it's uh, again, it's been such a joy to see and to have uh, have the life of uh, so many people coming through these places, through this place, I should say, through these programs. Um, I just want to give uh, give everyone out there who listens to us, who might to who wouldn't have had a chance to come on one of the programs, just uh, an update on what we're doing here, what we've been up to uh, this uh, this past six months, what we've been doing with the summer programming, and what uh, what the point of it all is. Mm-hmm. Joe, you've been uh, you've almost moved in here in the past uh, past few months. Um, why don't you just walk us through? Um, For for those who haven't uh, haven't seen or heard, what is this place the center for center for Reformational culture, and uh, what have we been uh, what have we been up to?
1: So, uh, the last few months actually in in preparation for the summer were were pretty frantic. Um, For those who maybe aren't aware uh, and you know have some familiarity with our presence online, but don't haven't visited as you say our physical facility mm-hmm. the center for reformational culture is the uh basically the home and heart of the ezra institute and it's a 25 acre uh property that sits on top of uh, an area called the niagara escarpment uh, overlooking lake ontario in the in the wine territory of uh southern ontario and um on that acreage um uh, part of which is uh conservation uh, forested area and part of which is um a developing farm uh a mixed fruit alt orchard um and we're looking at actually uh, maybe grapes for some of it as well we're, but we're working on all of that um the center is actually a farm that has a mansion sat on it which is very large yeah and uh the institute acquired the property for the purposes of developing our ability to um Bring people in for intensive equipping and training in Christian worldview, uh, cultural apologetics and Christian philosophy, uh, and as part and parcel of that, have opportunity to work on our farm you know the, the uh, Jewish rabbis always used to say that you shouldn 't do intensive intellectual work without regular physical work as well. Um, it actually helps you process those things so. Um, no, the that's, people, that's good counsel yeah so the people who actually come and stay technically are, are our uh, temporary farm workers during the summer because they do a little bit <laughs> yeah. of farm work during yeah. the week uh, and, of, and of course they're taking in the lectures and programs and the, the, uh, the two main programs in the summer are the um, H Evan Runner International Academy for Cultural Leadership which is our two week intensive premiere program if you will it's recognized by a number of colleges now in North America. Mm-hmm. And uh, then our Worldview Leadership Camp, which is our high school program. So the last few months, we've been pretty frantic. We were frantically getting the uh, the, 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 the house here ready f- to receive people. And uh, we had an absolutely wonderful time at the Runner Academy. We've, we've had a full complement. We've been full. We've had a full complement of students for all of the programs this That's summer. Right. Which for our inaugural year, yeah. we've been very pleased about obviously that's been a cause for celebration for us yep Um, and and we're it's exciting because you start you begin to see the tremendous impact that actually has on people's lives i mean the highlight for me of the runner academy was listening to the testimonials at the end of the two-week period of the students that have come through here from europe uh, the usa uh, and canada both east and west and um parts of eastern europe and the uk as well um so we're we're we're, we've been very encouraged by these last few weeks and right now as we sit here we're in we're in the middle of our worldview leadership camp uh with a full full house of uh basically 15 to 18 year olds introducing Mm -hmm. them to a robust uh biblical world and life view and one of the special joys for me of this whole time of the year is uh basically bringing in all of my best friends from around, from around the world yep. who uh, are fellows of the Institute and yep. who share our vision and mission uh, and uh, core objectives in terms of the uh, manifestation of the kingdom of God in each area of life and being able to spend time with them. And uh, the chances we get to talk together and uh, reflect together and discuss together, are very precious times as well. Not just talking with the students, but for us as um, faculty and fellows, talking together and encouraging one another and iron sharpening iron. So it's been a very, very intensive few weeks, but very rewarding. And uh, uh, although one of my most tiring years, um, one of the most joy-filled years of my entire ministry, for sure.
0: Yep. Yeah, I can uh, I can relate to that uh, too. Haven't been around here a bunch and. Andrew you're uh I'm not sure if that feeling is uh I'm sure it's uh, reciprocated but I'm not sure if it's amplified in your case you're uh you're from Ohio and then you uh you've been living in California so I mean good move there but you've had uh, we've had you for on and off about a month this summer mm-hmm. and uh it's expensive uh, <laughs> yes so especially,
1: true especially with the, the wine cabinet and the yeah. spirits just. <laughs> but trust me you're getting you're getting a good deal
0: <laughs> See, like he's uh, it's it's good that andrew's a friend of ours but uh, like you said you alluded to joe like we've got uh, we've got one of the best teams here one of the best assemblies of faculty of minds of people who are not just skilled in expositing the word but who love the lord uh who want to see cultural transformation? Who have a heart for the next generation? And that's a uh, tremendous that's cultural thing. Just yeah. Uh, yeah, just a joy to uh, to have you with us, uh, Andrew.
2: Yeah, it's um, I um, first met Joe a number of years ago, and I think we had several phone conversations, and I almost instantaneously found my heart knit to his. Obviously, in the cultural vision um, of expanding the kingdom of God in very specific ways. Um, Largely, of course, through Christian worldview and what Van Til, Cornelius Van Til, called the intellectual challenge of the gospel. Uh, But beneath all of that uh, was Joe's absolute zeal and heart for God. Mm -hmm. I grew up in a family where that was evident in both my dad and my late mom. And by God's grace, they transmitted that to me. There's no substitute for that, even if we're not even right theologically on everything. If we have a zeal for God and his kingdom, it's amazing. And you look at the men and women historically that have accomplished a great deal for God. Those are the people who did that. I detected that in Joe immediately and wanted him to be my friend, and he reciprocated that. Um, uh, for those of you listening that have not been to the uh, the center, I hope there will be a time you can schedule a a, a visit at some point, maybe uh, attend one of the programs um, or send children, grandchildren, um, mm-hmm. students, mm-hmm. Uh, as the case may be. But one thing Joe didn't mention, because he was mentioning other things, I like to say is we can't decontextualize this historically. This, The Lord raised this up, the Ezra Institute and CCL working with it, but and particularly this, this cluster of residence programs at a unique and uh, uniquely bad time historically when... Western culture, which was shaped by Christianity, not perfectly. There was always a countervailing sort of Greco-Roman influence, which was not good. But nonetheless, there were clear scriptural elements. Um, And and as Francis Schaeffer once said, uh, the beginning of one of his chapters, and now it is gone. That's how the chapter begins. And now it is gone, period. (laughs) Um, There's a great deal of truth in that. So our we feel our calling and responsibility, and I'm here speaking, and Joe won't mind as an insider, geographically an outsider for most of the year, but certainly an insider as part of the faculty here, mm-hmm. um, is to uh, is to present a credible, uh, God-honoring, countervailing force to this secular pagan uh, culture around us. And um, we want to make it clear, too, that this is not just addressing the evils in the church, though they certainly are palpable and they must be addressed. But in the entire wider culture and education and music and in literature and the technology and science and all the way across the board. So, so it's not just that God has done a marvelous work in raising up the Institute and raising up the Center. That certainly is true. He, and of course he alone is sovereign, raised us up at a remarkably convenient time, a time when this is absolutely necessary. So our goal, and Joe and I have talked about it at length, is we pray, if God be pleased, that twenty-five, fifteen, hundred 1,500 years from now, there are thousands upon thousands of North Americans and others, but principally probably North Americans, who understand the Christian worldview and have gone back and have applied the faith in very specific ways, not just in the church, not just as missionaries, school teachers, though that also is necessary, but in all areas of life, to essentially turn the entire culture around. Mm -hmm. So it is once again, largely Christian. Um, People say, do you believe there's gonna be sort of a Christian utopia before the second coming? No, but I believe, we believe the Bible does promise there's gonna be a great, great gospel revival a great reformation as a result of the power of the Spirit and the gospel preached in its fullness and the application of the law of God and creational truth. Well, by God's grace, we are, want to be, and by God's grace, we'll be a part of that. So that's one reason I want to kind of put a stake here.
0: No, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Nolan, we're happy to have, your, uh, have it here, have your stake in with us.
1: He leaves his pajamas under the pillow pretty much uh, year round now. <laughs> yes. yes,
0: and I'm
2: going to start leaving more and more items here, so it'll be <laughs> harder to get rid of me. I'll
0: give you give you a drawer for your toothbrush. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, and I can uh, I can attest to that, uh, Joe. You mentioned like one of the one of the things that uh, that kept us busy in the lead up is that uh, we had a lot of uh, a lot of people people interested, and one of the things that I got to do is. Before anybody set to any of these uh, delegates set foot on the property, I connected with them just to find out: is this is this going to be a good program for you? Or are we going to be you know, a good a good fit for one another? And you know, you start out, you ask really generic questions, and whenever I would ask them, what uh, what were just, why do you want to come? Mm-hmm. Almost almost unanimously, I would get a, some form of the answer. I'm lonely for like-minded Christians. Yes. Like there is a, there is a real hunger. There yes. is a real, a lot of people are waking up to, uh, to the fact that they, there's something missing. Yes. In, uh, in the rest of their, their life or in the, the evangelical community at large.
2: Ryan, my experience is many of them have been fed a diet of spiritual gruel, mm-hmm. sadly, even in some of their churches. Uh, though that's not true across the board, and you're right, there is an appetite for something that is genuinely biblical, that is kingdom-centered, that is uh, anchored in the Word of God, who has a desire more than a a personal relationship to God, though that is first and fundamental, but in addition to that, God's work in the world, and I think they just want more than anything to be with other people who recognize that truth. Well, that's the uniqueness that's being offered here. And uh, I I wish there were like hundreds and thousands of reformational centers over North America. I pray one day there will be, but that's Mm -hmm. not the day. So Mm -hmm. we're kind of on the ground floor of that and happy to be. And I pray that God uses it continually for that purpose. But that is largely the appeal, what you just said. Young people, young adults who say, this is something I must have because it's just not available. And not available, in my experience, in most churches, evangelical churches.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, back in the 60s and 70s, uh, you know, Francis Schaeffer's Labrie, um centers started popping up, and of course most notably in Switzerland. Mm-hmm. And um, although the era we're now living in is obviously different, that was towards the beginning of all of these things happening and people were feeling um, isolated, they were feeling... Uh, as though the church was not in general providing answers. Um, and so there were these kind of, you know, in many respects, these kind of spiritual wanderers. And uh, uh, I think in our own time, uh, re- remembering that, the, you know, the Christian faith is something which is covenantal, is communitarian. It's not communistic, it's, yep, but it's, right. it is communitarian. And you work out your understanding of the faith and of life in community. And I think this this atomistic kind of well, it's me and my cell phone, me and my social media, you <laughs> yeah, know, me and yeah. my downloadable pastor, yeah, me and uh, my virtual church, me and my right. virtual yeah. church kind of thing is is not satisfying to people, and it isn't enough to simply say, well, here's a good website, use that. Actually, right. we need to be with other people, and yes. that's actually part of what we're trying to emphasize here is the importance of creation of real relationships and of Working together, uh, living together, eating together, talking together, learning together in community that is one of the more unique things that I think we're um, uh, offering here. You know, it's very possible for people to be these days at university and be totally isolated oh, because yeah. there is no longer a shared meaning, there's no longer a shared discourse which can bring community even when people live in close proximity. Yep. So, what we're yep. doing here is actually in, in, in part. Uh, seeing you know a uh, a, a theological uh, community form a, I should say a, you know a reformational christian community form um the for, for those who attend that will go well beyond the two weeks or the the uh, that they attend the academy for or the, the times that they come back for our reunion and uh, refocus events yeah um but there there's a hunger in people to have these strategic relationships and I think as Andrew was saying when you think about reformation and reform uh, which is very much what the the institute and the academy is about when you look back you see that actually reform happened uh, historically through community you know John Knox spoke about Geneva being the great school of Christ uh, for him Mm -hmm. Uh, you know he felt that it was the greatest school of Christ since the apostle Paul And that led on to a transformation of Scotland. And then you look at somebody like William Wilberforce. Yeah, for sure. That community of saints, they called themselves the Clapham sect. The Clapham sect. And so we don't see what we're doing here as a conference. We're not running conferences. Yeah. We are seeking to build a community, hopefully over the next 25 years, 30 years, should God be pleased, of 7,000 cultural leaders who have not bowed the knee to bar, um, who will have an, uh, an impact. Uh, for the glory of God, by the grace of God, um, for uh, the future and um, yeah that's that's it, it feels like an exciting thing to be part of because you you see how clearly uh, there 's just this desperate hunger among the younger generation to discover that kind of um, covenantal community of learning that will be able to shape their lives in a hostile cultural environment and give them the tools yep. that they need
2: and it 's probably. Uh, almost impossible to overemphasize uh, the importance of communicating these uh, biblical truths and this zeal for the kingdom of God and this Christian worldview at a particular time in someone's life. P- between the ages of 16 and 24, and of course the Runner Academy goes all the way up much older than that, but particularly in that time, those uh, years are so formative and um, I would uh, those of you that are listening listening that are that are parents or pastors church leaders school leaders are in a position to um, suggest to encourage uh, students um, to attend um, I'd like to promise you and I know will back me up on this that this if if you want to send young people to a place where they can get a vision for God and His truth and His kingdom that can go with them the entire lives, Mm -hmm. all the way to their deathbed, to seek to please God in every area of life and thought. This is a, to use modern language, a safe place to come. It's not safe (laughs) for people who want to escape uh, their responsibility, but it's very safe for people who, who want to get closer to God and closer to the kingdom of God. I know in my own case, I was like 18 to 24 when I was first encountered Francis Schaeffer, mm. Achilles Van Til, some of the other reformational. And today I'm almost 60, and guess what? I, that's still resonating in my mind and heart. So it was uh, profoundly providential. And I hope that you, those of you listening in a position, or to attend, yep. will, um, will come recognizing that's what we're all about.
0: Yeah, and I can... Uh... I can testify to something that both of you just uh, just hit on. My own education, when I was uh, studying at uh, U of T, doing a master's degree there, I went in there thinking, like my my first attitude was, "Okay, I'm going to participate here. I'm going to make a make an effort at the community here." And but uh, pretty soon realized that, uh, or just saw that, like there's very few like-minded people here this this is not for you know for a conservative bible believing christian guy this is not a safe place Mm -hmm. not that i was in physical danger but Mm -hmm. this is not uh, this is not a place where my beliefs and convictions are going to receive an equal hearing to Mm -hmm. anything else that's out there and that just uh that that's part of the uh part of the antidote that we've been i think i think providing with the the runner academy the worldview leadership camp that uh yeah, yeah that I mean, there's there are there's real hostility out there yeah. you need to you need to be equipped to uh, to handle that I think and you pastors need to be able to have and, uh, community
1: pastors and parents and and grandparents I think are increasingly aware, Ryan, absolutely, that uh, the universities that they're often waving their children off to in the fall, yeah. in the early part of the fall, are, are far from safe places in that sense. Yeah. And, and often very far from places where there will be any uh, meaningful sense of Christian community and there is a reason why you know the studies show and i know you've cited these before in the podcast that's somewhere between 70 and 85% of christian young people in north america who've grown up in a christian home mm-hmm. find that it's at the university where um they begin to or begin to lose their faith or at least finally acknowledge that they never shared the faith of their parents they feel a sufficient degree of independence mm-hmm. they are um in a completely different environment. Um, and, and
0: they get some intellectual-sounding excuses. Exactly, it. exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, and unfortunately, there's no shortage of um, you know, professing Christians who are prepared to help them with those mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, in the wrong sense. Right. So, <laughs> um, you know, th- this is a, I think, steadily, Christians are slowly beginning to realize what, what is actually happening. That mass exodus is something that we are wanting to address yep. as an institute and at the academy. Uh, it's something that I know Andrew's for, for, for many years been committed to, to addressing. Um, how do we, uh, to begin with, retain our own young people yep. in the faith by giving them a robust Christian world and life view? I mean, Cornelius Van Til said that the task of apologetics was the defense And vindication of the Christian philosophy of life over against non Christian uh, philosophies of life. And the vast majority of these young people who are packed off to university have no idea what they're about to encounter and are totally unprepared for it. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things we're trying to address. As you know, next week we've got our um, uh, to give an answer, you know, couple of days with. uh, young people as a university preparation i think that's gonna that program is gonna have to grow and expand and andrew's no, i agree andrew's here for that as well uh, where we're specifically wanting to get them ready for um, what they're going to encounter and give them the tools to 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 respond to hold out and and not not to hang on by the skin of their teeth but be able to uh, go on the front foot go on the advance yes not feel like they're constantly on the defensive
0: yeah no that's uh, that's an important point
2: I think one way to put this um, in very stark terms is let's, let us grant for the sake of this discussion that people listening uh, attend a very good church and they're within a very good home. We, we need all need to understand this. When your children or you walk outside the church doors every Sunday or outside the home door every day, virtually everything Virtually everything you or they encounter is opposed to virtually everything held dear in the church and in the family of good families. So there is no aid or comfort out in the culture today. There is no safety out in the culture today, virtually none. Uh, Because of that, uh, in addition to good families and good churches, there are places like this place Uh, the Ezra Institute, and the center and these programs that are designed to give uh, intellectual ammunition. And I really appreciate what Joe said going to uh, the uh, metaphor of the armor in Ephesians chapter 6, not just defensive armor, but also offensive armor. So I want to make clear, and and I hope this will inspire many of you listening, we're not just providing... Um, uh, defensive, apologetic arguments, although we're certainly doing that for, for uh, young adults, young people, young adults here, so that they can give an answer, as the Bible says. In addition, we are, by God's grace, giving them the worldview and tools so they can turn back evil yes. in our culture, not immediately, but over time, such that Western culture and eventually the entire world Turns it turns back in mass to Jesus Christ, and if somebody says, "Well, that's just a pie in the sky um, anticipation or so on," I would suggest they just haven't read the Bible. Yes. <laughs> in fact, the Bible yeah. and the prophets and all it says days like that are coming. We simply, as the people of God, are trying to participate in the preparation for those days, and if we don't, we're basically lacking faith we're saying well that's something that's probably not going to happen it won't happen in my lifetime so i don't care about it but we don't have the luxury of that's, saying we don't care about it
0: that's that's the thing and i mean i've i've heard both of you say in different contexts that we're, we're in a culture war whether we like it or not whether we acknowledge it or not that's right and you need to uh like the the uh, the goal of war but to the goal of being in war is to win
2: that's right so yeah. we're
0: not uh, the the there comes a point uh, where you need to play offense there, and that's right. we are one. Of the, I, I would say that one of the things that we're trying to do with these programs is to train up young people to make them dangerous. I
2: like, love that language. Uh, Leon Trotsky, of course, the early Marxist, he had a very famous line. He said, "You may not want the, in Russia, you may not want the revolution, but the revolution wants you." That's In the same yeah. way, you may not want the culture war, but the culture war wants you and your children mm-hmm. and grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Uh, so um, we don't have the luxury of not fighting that battle.
1: Yeah. You know, there's a... There's a
0: Joe's got the, the sword out.
1: There's an old quote from uh, Abraham Kuyper, actually, so close to the sword, not oh, quite. Oh, sorry, but, it's, just, uh, it's an insert in it's, the Bible. It's, 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 it's a little insert. <laughs> I saw you
0: with your Bible there.
1: quote that Andrew and I are very fond of, uh, where Kuyper says, Our Lord and King will never negotiate a truce with his enemy, nor will he retreat from the battlefield. He maintains his forces against his opponents and never wavers. That's how it was when you and I were children. So it remains now that we are adults, and it continues into our old age. When we die and depart to the greener pastures, the battle will continue over our graves, and there will be no end until he, who will open all graves, returns. And oh man, that isn't powerful? that powerful. And that—that's the kind of spirit that we want to uh, really inculcate in the hearts and minds of these young people. Which is that—which is the, the the spirit that's gripped both of us. Uh, that um, uh, it's not because we are pugilists and we and we we crave a punch up. We don't. We just have to recognise that Scripture says uh, we are in a battle. We're in a conflict, a cosmic conflagration, for the total direction of history and every aspect of it and there is no there is no opting out of that you're 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 you're, we're all in it you're you're either faithful in it we're soldiers scripture tells us one of the metaphors that paul is fond of and uh you're either a deserter or you are willing to take up the, the the sword and the shield of uh, the word of God and the shield of faith and the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of the truth the, the helmet of salvation the, the belt of truth and the, and the feet shod with the gospel of peace and, and, that, and we're either ready to faithfully engage that and recognize that the word, our lives are part of that struggle or we really have we have really deserted our Lord yes. and Savior Jesus Christ it's, right. it's desertion
2: that's right that's right and sadly, I think that's what large swaths of the church, including the conservative church, have done. Then they turn around and wonder why there's this whole scale apostasy and departure of the faith on the part of young people or children and young people. Well, that's why we don't have the luxury of not fighting. I've noticed, Ryan, there's an attitude a lot of believers have that, well, if I avoid this cultural battle, then essentially Satan and evil will leave me alone. So I'm just going to have my own little church, my own sort of little family. And if basically, if I leave Satan alone, he'll leave me alone. That is a very dangerous illusion. Mm-hmm. He yep. is coming after everything we hold dear. We may as well go out and face him on the battlefield Yeah, and die, if necessary, out on the battlefield and cowering in our own house, hiding in the closet.
0: That's right. Um, no, die with your boots on. That's right.
2: And that's what we're training young people here to do. As Joe said, not pugilistically, Not without charity, with great love and compassion, but also with great firmness Mm -hmm. and with great purpose and and confidence. With great optimism, no person who leaves runner or any of these other events and understood what was said will come home pessimistic.
0: That's right. Now we're not
2: telling them it's not going to be difficult. We're not telling them they they might have to die for the faith. Christians have died for the faith, but we are going to win. Mm-hmm. because of the promises of the Word of God. Our, our hope is in the, the victorious eschatological promises of the Word of God, not just in the consummation, but before the consummation in time and history.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting, Ryan, as well, you know, maybe you can pick up on this and just uh, maybe highlight it to, to the listeners. But in the last few weeks, there's been, again, some high-profile desertions right. from the faith. And these desertions speak directly to the issues that we are trying to address. Um, uh, You may have to correct me here, but there's a, was it, there was a, um, uh, is it Harris? Josh Harris. Harris. Josh Harris. goodbye, yes. Yes, He uh, now kissed the Christian faith goodbye. He's now kissed the Christian faith goodbye, Mm -hmm. a prominent uh, evangelical leader, and then uh,
2: Marching at pride parades, by the way, pictures of him doing that.
0: I'm not sure if you're aware of that. No, I wasn't there, but mm-hmm. uh, it's,
1: no, it's not a surprise, is it? This is right. the
0: direction that these things go. Well, if there's a uh, if there's a crack in the wall to keep up the martial metaphor, then mm-hmm. you've you've compromised on uh, like, you're then you're compromised.
1: Right, right. And then there's the case of the worship leader from Hillsong, I think. Oh as well. yes, yes. Uh, I, forget, I forget his there. name. Christian media recently and you know Andrew and I were talking the other day about how it just seems like left and right these leaders are dropping like flies we've been looking at something else from Australia today about a bit of conference happening out there and um, uh, concerns that uh, that you know just one area of comprom- compromise after another and it's the loss and collapse of a truly Christian world and life view yep. Uh that means there's just a, a lack of coherence uh, uh, uh and with that then a lack of confidence and the uh the the old shared christian discourse that it that broadly christian discourse that informed our culture having totally dissipated is no longer there to be the backstop for for, for biblically illiterate and and uh, christian worldview illiterate believers and uh and so, what happens is when they find that their they 're shallow and um, underdeveloped uh, understanding of the kingdom of God and the Word of God and the power and scope of the Word of God and the comprehensiveness of the faith, without that when they 've got they 've got it piecemeal they 've got just a, yes. a tiny slice of it, and they 're clinging onto to that for dear life when that seems to be attacked or eroded in some way and they are unable to defend the faith, these things fall like a house of cards. And I, mm-hmm. I'm convinced that the reason we're seeing such mass compromise on the human identity and sexuality issue is rooted right there. And perhaps Andrew can expand on this. Um, it's, it's rooted in this uh, really almost a total loss of a, of a robust and comprehensive biblical world and life view.
2: No, I agree, Joe. I think if uh, you mind if I wax just a little... Bring sociological it on, bring it on. on. So oh, I think sociological, what's, y- never mind. Yes, no. no. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think what's happened um, historically in North America and Northern Europe um, also, but particularly North America over the last oh, 50 years, even the last couple of hundred years, is we have developed a, a highly uh, internally pious but privatized form of Christianity and uh, just quickly, it's this that uh, we trust in Christ, we're justified before him, and our responsibility is to get other people saved, to bring them into the church, to have, uh, to live a holy life, holiness defined often as sort of avoiding popular taboos, uh, spending time in devotions, uh, you know, quiet time in devotions and so on, and uh, essentially living that way until we can get to the true life, the real life, which is the life going up into heaven. And so on. Uh, That's just a a short version of it, but that's kind of it. Well, there are entire churches, entire movements. I would say in large measure the evangelical movement in North and South America was largely not entirely limited to that that sort of paradigm. But as I'm going to do my own podcast soon, I think I've got a little title, Privatized Christianity Finally Gets Its Comeuppance. I think what happened all those years, this was within that Christian consensus that Joe was talking about, that was the language that Francis Schaeffer used. We had a, a Christian consensus in our culture, not that everybody was saved, but even most yeah. people were saved, but there right. was a Christianity underlying all of this and shaping our morality and ethics and so on. Well, increasingly that's gone, particularly since the 60s. Well, because this entire evangelical and largely Protestant conservative movement all along did not have any sort of robust worldview because they didn't think it needed one, didn't emphasize those things. Now, when we have, when all of that is taken away, they don't have the, the spiritual and intellectual and theological and philosophical and worldview tools, resources, to address this. And therefore, I, I, my view is, and to give them the benefit of the doubt, most of these people, I don't think their view is, oh, good, same-sex marriage is coming along and all this trans stuff, and we've been wanting it all along. I don't think that. That would be unfair. I think their view is, well, I don't, you know, I guess this is okay because, I mean, our goal is getting people saved and this is not really a big issue. And so we want to get people in. So we were going to change our view on this because this was a never, never a big issue in the first place.
1: And the best that it's a harbinger of coming judgment and the Lord's coming back real soon. This is a sign that he's going to be back tomorrow. That's right. So we don't need to do too much about it because, uh, you know, uh, you know, it's, we've been told that, uh. Times will wax worse and worse. And yes. So. Mm, yeah, those yeah, who yeah. even consider themselves biblically faithful, it can almost be seen as a kind of like, well, you know, we know it's bad, but it's kind of good. Yes. Yeah, I've yeah. had
2: a minister tell me that look, one time. Uh, hurrah, look how bad yeah. it yes, is. Yes, yes, it's really sad. But then they change. Oh, but actually, it's really good. I had a minister tell me that one time, and I thought, that sounds perverse. And you know what? It was. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the advantage with with Ezra, what what we are giving here by God's grace is communicating the spiritual and intellectual worldview resources so that people will not collapse. And if they are beginning to collapse, they can be propped back up to have a larger, fuller, robust, strong worldview to address all these things. We often mention, of course, uh, the same-sex marriage and human sexuality issue, but this is true across the board in science, in the arts, in business socialistic ideas and i mean you take all of these spheres of life virtually all of these spheres of life outside the church and the culture are now occupied by pagan secular unbelief what are we saying by that we're saying that every single one of them needs to be changed that's a big order we don't claim we ourselves are going to change all of them but we're laying the groundwork for people to be able to do that
1: and this is not some sort of goofy triumphalism either because i think actually as albert walters points out uh this this commitment to the this let's call it a narrative this story of redemption of creation fall, redemption in jesus christ and the consummation of all things then of his kingdom through the power of the holy spirit in our time this is going to involve suffering yes because you cannot confront uh, the countervailing story that denies that fundamentally it 's it's antithetical to it now, the story of our culture, without enduring uh, suffering, so this is not some sort of close your eyes uh, um, sort of uh, you know blind triumphalistic view right. This is actually earthy, visceral real uh, and it 's about the fullness of, of of a lived Christian life. And actually, you know the younger generation of, of Christians, those who are at least recognizing that there 's a, there's a problem in the life of the church with this retreat from culture with this cultural abandonment, the difficulty is, as has actually been the case in the past, they begin to look to secularized alternatives because the church is in, with some exceptions, not giving an answer in these areas right. is not providing the resources. It then looks to actually uh, secular philosophical paradigms that then get baptized Christian, uh, which are then offered as the Christian way of living in culture, the Christian way of working in the sciences, the arts, in politics, in law, and so on and so forth. Um, And so you find that actually what we've got today is with all the protestations to the contrary that, you know, keep politics and culture out of the pulpit, this is about yes. going to heaven. Yeah. It's actually, we have a radically politicized church. Yes. That's right. Because you have so many people that the word of God has never been brought to bear in any of these areas. So in all these other areas of life, outside of the kind of personal piety that Andrew is talking about, people's thinking is governed by humanistic, secular, even pagan paradigms of thinking. The social justice movement being one good example, where really a kind of neo-Marxism has uh, and uh, has really engulfed that whole area, and that and young people, because they think, well, Christian young people think, well, we've got surely our faith is not just about uh, you know a hope of heaven. Surely it has something to do with real life in the world. Are then really only offered this um, uh, radically liberal, anti-biblical solution? to the cultural issue, uh, to the cultural challenges. And so those who actually are engaged are often engaged with all the wrong tools altogether.
2: So, so eloquently put, Joe, and so unpleasant as it is to contemplate what Joe is really saying is that this sort of privatized, pietistic Christianity actually is largely to blame for the younger folks in its midst that have reached out to and bought into the social justice Model because they understood on this they were not wrong that there's got to be something more than this. There's got to be something more to the faith than just trusting in Christ and reading your Bible and coming to church and at the end of your life going to heaven. There has to be a vision for how it affects the world. The problem is they haven't been given the resources to understand that the Bible and creational norms would be the vision, and you have neo Marxist cultural Marxists come along and say, Oh, why don't you just Christianize a version of what we have here? That's right. That I think is essentially what's happened.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. I love the way Zudemer puts it, Andrew. He says the ecclesiasticizing of the faith calls forth the secularization oh, isn't of that the beautiful.
2: world. Beautiful, so true.
1: So, in in this uh, this kind of by ecclesiasticizing, we mean that pietizing, that privatization of the faith, the cloistering of all of this yep. within the, the,
0: Christianity is reduced to what you do in the church building. Yes, yes. the sort of
1: churchianity that we've often talked about before. Yep actually calls forth the secular so that actually it's been, in many respects, a misguided, often with very good intentions, a misguided evangelical pietism And that has actually called forth this radical secularization of the rest of life. And that is what we are trying to shatter, that false dichotomy, that That's false right. dualism. Yeah. Um, and, and hopefully in the process, you know, because actually when we find that when young people see this, and they see these things all in the light of the word of God in his, in the scriptures, in creation, the pennies start to drop. The lights start to come on and a a life and a, and a passion and enthusiasm and a vigor and a hope uh, begins to enter, um, people's Christian life again.
0: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So both of you have talked about parents and grandparents, people who, uh, no 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 Christian parent rejoices if when their child becomes one of these sixty to eighty five percent of young people who walk away from the faith at at nineteen um andrew you've had uh, several family friends who were here uh, to attend the runner academy joe you've got two of your own children here this week for the worldview leadership camp what uh what is the responsibility or what 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 word do you have? for parents, for families here and now, um, who would, uh, who, who want to stand against this, who want to stand against this, this bleeding of, of the next generation?
2: Well, um, I can certainly say with enthusiasm to recommend this place. Yeah. Um, I hope that they will get on their knees before God and prayerfully consider it the, the investment, the financial investment in sending someone here attending is very slight compared to the potential life-changing benefits of coming here. Uh, I am not the most traveled speaker by any means, but as I travel around the United States in particular, I don't know of places like this place where people can get this kind of, not univer- not Christian colleges, not Christian universities, uh, not think tanks. This is a place where they can Receive the truth about, and as Joe said, and this, the and also get the communal experience of. Mm-hmm. We often say world view, but an older way that Kuiper would all is 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 that's a, just actually a shorthand for world and life view. Yes. So it's not just thinking, though thinking is important. It's thinking and living, mm-hmm. thinking and living out. Uh, they can get a model for that here that will change the rest of their lives. We often think. Um, about a, a grandparents, grandparents think about um, their estate and uh, leaving wealth to children and grandchildren. That is a biblical idea, wholly legitimate. Just as legitimate, though, if not more so, is the spiritual and theological and philosophical and a worldview estate mm-hmm. that they live to leave to their children. So if you want to to leave your children and grandchildren with something that will go with them and benefit the rest of their life, this would be a good place to send them.
1: Mm-hmm. If we don't want our young people to grow up with a sense that the Christian faith is a part-time personalist uh, lifestyle choice philosophy that uh, is kind of like icing on a cake, sort of like cream on top of the strawberries. Uh, I remember, you know, there was a, there was a program. A very well-known program that became very famous in England, uh, introducing people to the Christian faith. That ran, ran this advertising campaign, um, and uh, a prominent one with large billboards. And one of the billboards read, "Great house, great family, great car, still feel empty." Uh, to add Jesus, mm. as though Jesus is sort of like a BMW <laughs> or, or a. You know or, or some kind of product yeah. but if you just if you just have this element, you, you just, there's, there's this sp- sort of spiritual side to your life it 's not the root unity of your existence it 's just a spiritual aspect to your life, and you know you might find that in life without this sort of spiritual element, you may not feel totally fulfilled um If we don't want our kids in North America and in Western Europe to grow up with the sense that that's basically what the Christian faith is. I mean, it's just sort of, well, you know, some people go to church, other people play golf, some feng shui their apartment. You know, we we love Jesus and um, we have a spiritual experience. Well, plenty of other religions, plenty of other philosophies are offering experiences. As Andrew says, what we are trying to offer here. Um, what we'd want to stress to parents is a world and life view. And if, you know, there's been recently sort of uh, grumbling in some quarters about the use of the term worldview. Look, what we're talking about when we say that is the biblical account of reality. That's what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. The biblical account of life and reality. And, and what is that? And what are the basic contours of that?
2: It means living and thinking as a Christian all the time, everywhere. That's basically what we're talking about.
1: Yes, a, v- a very good illustration of it would be to say, look, you know, that we, we're not trying to say that uh, you cannot be a Christian without an in-depth understanding of worldview issues. What we are saying, though, is that worldview functions like a gearbox in a car. Mm-hmm. It translates the power of the gospel to where the rubber actually hits the road in our lives. And surely as Christian parents, that's what we want for our children, that, it, that actually their faith is something that becomes something that... The, and when we say our, even our faith is not uh, something that is just a one minor aspect of our lives, that actually the religious unity of our life, yeah. deeply set in Christ, in Christ, from whom and through whom and to whom are all things... That that becomes the the very driving force, the very centre of our being and our existence, and until that happens, we 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 will not see reformation in the life of the church. So, you know, the language of investment I think is wonderful. Actually, mm-hmm. you know, if you, if uh, you know, I'm trying to make an investment as a father in the future of my children, so this is a priority, not a. New car, not a new membership at a golf uh, club, not a, no, an investment into the, the life of our own children that will uh, see them not only preserved, but advancing the cause of Christ in the years ahead. I want to be a man who my children will look back after I'm gone. You know, Kuiper there speaks about the the battle going on even Mm. over our graves. That's right. Yes. Who will look back and bless me, not curse me. Yeah. Right. will look back and, and bless their grandfather, their great grandfather, that he, in a time of apostasy and cultural crisis, stood for the faith and by God's grace, maybe laid something of a foundation for the future now we yes. as all of us as parents have that opportunity right. with our own kids Amen. that we they be living stones yeah. with Amen. christ as the chief cornerstone and uh you know that's that's why we love the image of ezra and nehemiah and you know the building up of the wall uh, and uh ezra comes in he calls people back to faithfulness to the total word of god and ezra says right who's ready for rebuilding and uh that's what we're saying to parents and grandparents. Let's have our children and our families recalled to the fullness of the Word of God, so that we can rebuild in what is increasingly becoming the rubble of our cultural life. Amen.
0: Guys, it's been uh, it's too early to uh, to look at the game film uh, of the past of this summer. We're about three quarters of the way through this worldview leadership camp. We've got to give an answer coming up, but uh, this sort of Halftime report. It's been a blast to have you both with us. That's um, great. Thanks privilege. for uh, thanks for being here. Yeah. It's
1: been good. Thank you, Ryan. Brother, I think that was one of the best. You were almost as profound as me in that podcast. Here's what I was going to say. <laughs> Here's what I was going to say with all seriousness.
2: I prayed about this. That was an amazing podcast. You ought to keep this for posterity, not just because I was involved.
0: Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the podcast for Cultural Reformation, brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please take a moment to like, share, and rate the podcast on social media and your favorite listening platform. For more resources, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca.